Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Whitefoot Cricket Show in collaboration with the Cornwall Cricket Board, the podcast all about celebrating Cornish cricket and inspiring Cornish cricketers. We've got something a little different this week in that Sam Kelsall isn't Cornish and most of you probably won't know who he is, but the experiences and insight he shares are so, so important nonetheless. Sam was a teenage superstar who made his not second 11 debut aged 15, represented England under 17 and 19 level and signed a professional contract at just 18. If you're a player, coach, parent, perhaps someone who may have struggled with their own mental health or just someone with an interest in cricket, this really is essential listening. We dig into the harsh realities of pursuing the dream of playing professional cricket and the toll it can take. Sam describes the moment he signed a professional contract and the moment he was told that his services were no longer required. He reveals the impact this had on his mental health and how he tried to overcome it, and rediscovering his love for cricket but still not being able to move on from his dream of being a professional cricketer. We also look at the high pressure and at times suffocating nature of second eleven cricket, how that compares with minor counties cricket and whether there's a whole host of talented players out there in their mid to late twenties already unfairly consigned to the scrap heap. And of course we finish off with our quickfire round where Sam discusses the Cornish players he's played with and the best batters and bowlers he's played with and against. Before we move on with the pod, it's worth saying that if you're listening to this and experiencing your own problems with your mental health, then please speak to someone and seek help. As Sam says, it's okay to not be okay. Sam, long time no see, mate. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, how are you doing firstly and, and how's the cricket season treating you so far? Yeah, thanks. Um Great to be on. Um, it's good to see your face after so many years. It's not got any better, has it? Uh, old lid. Um, could say the same uh, about you. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. I mean, finally, well, certainly where I'm from in Staffordshire, the weather's picked up considerably, which is good. Um, and yeah, club-wise, not fantastic. Um, we're on a bit of a run of a few losses. Um, we're playing well. We just can't seem to get over the line at the minute. It's one of them. Um, the boys are, are getting used to a new format in the North Staffs and South Cheshire League. Um, 45 overs with a, with a pink ball and, and coloured clothing. So it's a bit of a different dynamic for us up here. We've always been kind of long format cricket. Um, yeah. But I'm certainly enjoying it. You know, for me, it's 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 modern you know, getting with the times almost. Um, and it's, I think it's been long, long overdue. I'm certainly enjoying it from a captaincy point of view and, and you know, learning new things all the time and, and, and trying to be um, expressive of, of the game and, and the modern way. And it's just kind of bringing the boys up to speed with that. And you know, it's tough when, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're amateur cricketers now. And we train maximum twice a week, if lucky, if work allows. And, some good chats at the, at the weekend about keeping up with run rates and you know the, the boys have got this I love it you know the ambition but they think they should be getting 10s and 12s and overs in the last three or four overs with the bat and I'm just like boys you know if you can do that you would be playing a lot yeah. higher standard than this um, so just little things like that which you know we're always trying to improve on but it, it's you know like I say it's tough when you when you when you can only train when work allows well I hope your fortunes change soon perhaps this weekend but um, it needs to it needs to else we might be going down at this rate well let's hope not, let's hope <laughs> not. But, um 
moving on with the, the, the sort of podcast, and, and you're not a Cornishman, obviously, and, and most of our listeners probably won't know who you are. So just introduce yourself a little bit. Give us a, a brief history of your cricket career. Um, so from staffs, age group cricket, England under 17s and 19s through to the academy at Knotts and then signing a professional contract. So just give us a bit of an, a bit of an overview. So obviously Staffordshire, you know, born Stoke-on-Trent. Um, grew up, well, I'm still here now, grew up with mum and dad. Um, and kind of just played cricket in the garden with my dad from, you know, from as long as I can remember. Um, sort of four or five, picked up a, a bat and a ball in the back garden. My dad was always a good good local cricketer. Um, just played, never played minor counties or above, just, just local club cricket and kind of got my love from, from him, I guess. And he was then the one who ferried me around the country on Whelan. Um, sort of played obviously staffs age group cricket from under 10s right through to to 17s um, and always really played above above my year um, Mm -hmm. which was always a a good test and I was fortunate to do and I got picked up by knots um, through Andrew Jackman Um, and obviously for the for the listeners that perhaps have never heard that name before I kind of I kind of Oh, a hell of a lot of my my life, I guess, to to the opportunities I got to to Jacko, and he's a West Indian West Indian guy, and one of the best, if not the best, coaches I've I've ever worked with, um, and he's worked with a few Bilal Shafiat, um, Samit, you know, to name a few who've who've obviously come through and, and are still at knots. Um, so. He, he ran um, sort of a coaching session um, for Nottingham-based guys, really, just local guys who wanted to come along and, and, and progress their games. And a few of, few of the Staffordshire Stoke-on-Trent boys um, were going over to him at the weekend. Um, and as my cricket got a bit more um, progressive and serious, um, I was invited over for a session. Um and it sort of stemmed from there. Jacko, you know, spent about half an hour with me, and two weeks later, I was having a net with with Knotts Academy, and it was, you know, it was all systems go. Um, he called Chris Tolley and asked that Chris come along and, and looked at me, and from there, I was I was kind of asked on on the academy and never looked back. I guess. Um, then it was <clears throat> sort of two nights a week. My dad would have to take me over. He'd pick me up from school. We'd shoot across to the across the A50, um, try and get there for 6 p.m. Two hours, two and a half hour session, and back we came and, and back to school the next day. And and that was to Trent Bridge. Yeah, over to Trent yeah. Bridge. Yeah, in the, in the Woodhead Hall. I'm sure you remember them days, mate. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, ballet on a Monday. <laughs> fitness on a Wednesday yeah um, and it was kind of like it was probably like that from age 11 through to I guess till I finished secondary school and then and then moved over permanently to Nottingham so I look back and you know what a huge commitment that was from my dad um, he never said no he never said he couldn't do it 
Um, you know, my mum and dad, they actually split when I was 11 years old. So it was even more of a, you know, I guess a huge ask for for them to keep supporting me, you know, together, even though they weren't together. Um, right. And I was, they were fully supportive of, you know, I had a dream as, as most kids probably did at that age to, to, to try and play for England. Um, that's right. all I wanted to do. Um, hold my hands yeah. up now. I could have given it a lot more at school. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Um, but all I wanted to do was have a bat and ball in my hand. Um, well, you did. You did manage to play for England at under seventeen and nineteen level, which is obviously a huge achievement. Um, but what what age were you when you signed your professional contract at Notts? So I was eighteen when I first signed on as pro. Um, I remember the the day. Now we were playing at Cutney away in the in the Nottinghamshire Academy side in the in the Notts Premier League, um, and Mick. I think we were batting second, and Mick, Mick came Newell, along. Yeah, Mick Newell came along, who was who was then head of cricket at the time. I think he's now his director of cricket. Now his title, something yeah, along them right. lines. And you know, it was one of them when Mick pulls onto the car park, all the lads are like, "Oh God!" You know, kind of tail between the legs type thing. You know, yeah. what, what's happened? Who's who's getting the who's getting the chop or who's moving up? Um, and it was really on the back of playing under 19s at England level that I signed alongside, you know, myself, Brett Hutton and, and Sam Wood. We kind of all signed together. Yeah. Um, you know, almost probably looking back, a little bit of a uh, a recognition for achieving the the England call up. You know, you almost earned a professional contract. Um. So, yeah, I remember that day fondly. My dad was there. He, Mick put the contract in front of me. Dad said, right, let, let's read through it, Sam. And I was just flicked straight to the back page and signed <laughs> on the dotted line. Um, <laughs> dad was like, well, perhaps you should read the small print, Sam. And I was like, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Because it was just, that was, you know, that was the dream. Yeah. And, and if, you don't, if you don't mind me asking, how much, how much money was that a year at the time? At that time... 18, I think. 18,000 a year, yeah. which isn't a lot, is it really? No, it's not. Um, you know, but with that, I was living in what then was called the Academy House. Yeah. Um, Remember that fondly as well. Yeah. Yeah, we had some good times in there. <laughs> probably won't probably won't delve into them too much. Um, <laughs> But I guess so then from, you know, there's no expenditure there, really. Um, yeah. Yes, I had a car, but, it, you know, it was, as you know, 10 minutes walk from the ground. Um, yeah. So really, you know, my expenditures were, you know, were food and, and having a good time at that age. Yeah. Um, and but looking you, back now, you know, and I would advise anybody in that position to, you know, to, to put a little bit away here and there and and look and you know and plan for the future because albeit I'm very happy now and I'm I'm fairly stable. Um you know I don't have a lot to show for it. Um for what I was earning fairly, you know, decent money at that age, I guess. Yeah. 
And you, you made your, your first class debut was August 2011. Um, Durham away on a bit of an early season wicket mm-hmm. against the Durham side that boasted the likes of Paul Collingwood, Ben Stokes, Michael Divanuto, Graham Onions. And then the not side that you were in had the likes of Adam Voges, Chris Reed, Paul Franks and, and Cornwall's own Charlie Shrek. So just talk us through that debut. What were your overriding emotions on the day? Was it pride, excitement, nervousness? I got goosebumps now. <laughs> Literally. Um, uh, it's a long time ago, but, you know, pride. You know, yep. ultimately, you know, that was a huge achievement in my my career and a huge stepping stone um, to get given that opportunity. I think I was opening the batting with Carl Turner. Also on debut. Yeah, he was also on debut. Um, and as you say, it was a bit... Anybody knows cricket, Durham away at that time of year is, is a fairly difficult place to go and try and score runs. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember facing up to Graham Onions, who's, who's probably one of the best bowlers I've ever faced. Not yeah. in terms of pace, but just in terms of control and seam movement what he did with the ball was just mind-blowing um, and it kind of really opened my eyes up to the step up from where I had been in the second team to then first team first class cricket it was it's hard to explain how big of a step up it is until you've really been there and and experienced it um, but I remember getting off the mark with with a bit of a stuck on the crease nick behind and and Phil Mustard with the gloves didn't go anywhere, and Paul Collingwood sprawled to his left and shelled it, and it went to fine leg, and I sprinted down the other end. <laughs> At that so, time, Paul, Paul Collingwood was probably the best fielder in the world as well, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a phenomenal catch if he'd got it. It was definitely <laughs> the keepers. Um, but, yeah, that's how I got off the mark in first-class cricket, and, yeah, it's quite it's quite a cool story to tell. And, you know, I, I think I went on to get... get teens or something like that and you know I didn't trouble the scorers too much but I, I look back and think you know what an experience and yeah. a real eye-opener into you know how to perform at that level um yeah and let's fast forward a few years so you made your last first class appearance for knots against Oxford Uni in a pre-season friendly you made 57 in the first innings and five in the second and then a little while after you were told that your services were no longer required. So we'll talk about that in a second. But were you disappointed to go out in what was such an innocuous way? I mean, you described their face in the likes of Graham Onions and then your last game is against Oxford Uni. I mean, the game against Oxford was almost a bit of a, um, I guess, show me what you can do type game for me. Um, And again, it was at the start of the year. You know, pre-season friendly, it was absolutely Baltic. You know, everybody was wearing beanies to field in, long sleeve jumpers to bat in um, against the uni boys. You had a couple of, I think Charlie Morris was playing for them, who's now at Worcester. So, you know, they didn't, they had a few good bowlers, um, again, on a, on a green, on a green one. And, you know, obviously I was, I was really chuffed with my first, first innings efforts. Mm. Um but for me all the time, I kind of always knew that 
if I was ever going to sustain that place in that team, I had to get a massive score. Yeah. A huge score. You know, 50s, 60s, didn't cut it, no matter who it was against. Because there's always somebody who was either going to come back from international duty yeah. or or would, or there's players within the squad that would get picked before me. Um, so were you, were you annoyed then when, because I, I noticed on the scorecard that Samit Patel opened the batting in the second innings, presumably to give him a bit of match practice, and you mm. were shunted down the order. Mm. Is that something you look back on and you're a little bit annoyed about? Uh, to be honest, I've never looked at it in that way. Um, I guess at, at, at the time, no, I, I didn't have them feelings. Um, whereas, you know, probably now, yeah, I'd, I would have loved to try and um, show my worth in both innings. But I guess in them games, like you say, they're trying to get everybody mm. some time in the middle. Um and you would like to think what I've shown in the first innings was was perhaps good enough to to get an opportunity at the game, but like you say, it wasn't it wasn't to be. And then just just sort of take us inside the room. I mean, I'm I'm presuming it was in McNeil's office where you had the conversation that you were going to be released. So, what was that like? What was said? Did he give you any specific reasons? Well, it was actually he took me into the physio room because. It was the end of season, sort of last second to last game, I think. Um, and there was a championship game on at Trent Bridge. And this is at the time, I think, that I'd had a bro- I'd, I'd broke my finger. And I don't yeah. know if it was. I don't know if it, I got pulled in on the game that I was supposed to be playing, but I broke my finger the week before in a second team game. But anyway, there was a championship game on, and I come up to the changing room, um, not to bat in. There's a few people knocking around, Paul Franks, Jamie Hart, a few 12th men. Um, and yeah, Mick, Mick pulls me into the physio room um, and says, come on, Kels, we'll, we'll go in here. Because I think there were a few guys already in his office. Um, yeah. And the physio room's at the back of the changing room at Trent Bridge, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and he kind of shut the door and said sit down so we, he sat on one bed I sat on the other bed opposite him and yeah no word of a lie Taylor this was no more than two minutes worth of his time that he, that he chatted to me about basically telling my my services were no longer required um the explanation I got and the reasoning was that in his mind um there was people below me or a few years younger than me, were, were, were pushing on at a greater rate than my development. And he felt that by the time they reach my age, they're going to be in a far better position than I am, or I was at that time. Sure. So basically, he didn't want to string me along anymore. Um, and he was quite happy. Me, you know, He wanted me to try and explore some options elsewhere, which... There bloody wasn't any other options. <laughs> you know, how, I, how, how old were you at that point? 22. 22. So you're still mm. a young man. Um, and after, after McNeil gives you his, his two minutes of time, what was the overriding motion then? Would you, do you have to go to the changing room, pack up your stuff and, and leave? Like, how, how did that happen? Well, he just asked, he asked me to just go and just leave. 
he asked me to basically just leave the tra- changing room. So I had a locker that had a few bits in, but I had to then go back another day and, and get that. Um, so I had to walk out the f- physio room and, and just straight down the stairs and and out the back of the clubhouse and in my car and off I went. Um, that And that year, you, you, you mentioned you broke your finger and we, we'll come on to that in a second, but you, you scored a... A stack load of runs in the twos didn't you mm. so did you did you see that conversation coming or did you think that you had done enough that year to earn yourself a contract extension well I was kind of always on at that stage I was I was on a, like a three-month deal right but because I had um, a good start they then continued on for the remainder of the year and I had as good a second half as I did first half. So did I see it coming up? Probably blindly, no, I didn't. And neither did anybody else, really. Um, I can remember before I went into that meeting with Mick, Paul Franks took me up to the back room and said, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Um, So he knew that you were meeting Mick, did he? Yeah, yeah. A few of the guys knew. Um and he, in his opinion, I, I was, fi- I, I would be fine. I would get offered something. Um, and, and Paul Franks is a is a club legend as well. So if he speaks, yeah. you kind of listen, don't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you know, at that stage, I, you know, to have to to have to walk out down the stairs and and out the back of the the clubhouse where somewhere I've been for since an eleven year old. Yeah. It was. It was. It's pretty difficult. Um, I, ra- I can remember ringing my mum as I was on the way to the car, like it's over type thing. Um, yeah. So yeah. Does that does that leave does that whole experience leave a bit bitter taste in your mouth? Do you think it was dealt with poorly? Um, I wouldn't say it was dealt with poorly. <sighs> People say it's part of the game. It's it's what happens. It's professional sport. Could I pick the phone up tomorrow and speak to Mick and he would speak to me? Yeah. You know, I, I don't hold anything against them. I still speak to the guys now as if I'm still there sometimes. Mm. Um, people say to me now, you should have left. You should have gone to Leicester, Derby. You should have gone on loan. It's not, it's not that easy when yeah. you're a young lad who's played a handful of games, five or six first-class games, I think I ended up playing. Yeah. You know, and didn't set the world on fire. You know, was anybody really ever going to take a punt on me? Um, so I'm, I'm sort of skipping forward on my questions list here, but was that was that not an option then? Because I would have assumed you went to New Zealand again, which we'll talk about. You came back, obviously, with the challenges that we'll talk about as well. But were there no offers on the table? Was, was no one saying, come and have a summer contract, come and have a trial, play some second 11 cricket? So I left and Mick said, well, I got sacked. I didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he said, you know, we'll do anything we can for you. We'll put your name out there. And I thought, yeah, all right. That didn't happen. Um, you know, I didn't have an agent. Um the PCA was was who I used if I needed anything along them lines. 
um, and they they were fantastic, as I'm sure we'll speak about in a little while. Um, but no, the, I had the odd game for Northampton twos, which transpired into nothing, um, and obviously played a bit of unicorn stuff, mm. um, which I guess put you in the shot window. Um, but nothing. Would you, nothing have, would you have played with? with um, would you have played with Keith Parsons? Was he captain? No, that was a that was before my time. Before you, okay. Yeah, so I think that's when the unicorns were, were in the C, CB40 back then. I think. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I played. I played after that, and they just played against second teams, and um. So it was a good, you know, that was a decent shot window, and the thing is for me with trialing, um. You know, I'm sure you can vouch for this. It's a it's a fairly dark place at times, and you're kind of not sure where you stand week by week. Yeah. Uh, well, you 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 lead me quite neatly on to my next question. So I, I wanted to touch on second eleven cricket. Yeah. Um, some people listening will have experienced it. Others won't have. Others might do in 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 times to come. It's a pretty unique environment, isn't it? So you'll you'll have made your second eleven debut at 15. I think same age as me. Yeah. Um, and at 15, you're playing with and against like seasoned pros and they're either coming back from injury. They might be on trial themselves or they might be fighting to get back in the first level or even keep their contract. That can be quite a culture shock for a 15 year old, can't it? Mm. I, remember, I remember making my debut at Lady Bay against Derbyshire. And I'm sure Mark Footit was at Derby at the time. It was and rapid. By the way, Lady, Lady Bay is quite a flat but fairly quick pitch. Yeah. Um, and he was charging down the little bank at the hockey end, hockey pitch end. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wearing this flimsy, soft arm guard. I think if I cop on it, it's going to really hurt. Um, well, I, I say to this day that Mark Foote is the quickest bowler I, I've played yeah. with. And I only had to keep keep to him in that game yeah. that we played. And I remember as a 15-year-old lad, I've been playing age group cricket and, and did did all right with the bat, got some runs. But then you keep into Mark Footit and you're like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> this is 10 mile an hour quicker than anything I've had to try and catch before. Yeah. But I was, I was at, speaking to somebody the other day about second 11 cricket and, and what it stands for and my experience of it. And this is just my opinion. I think at times it's it's a very, you know, what is... What is the point of it? What's it there for? Um, you know, are teams playing to win? In my opinion, it's some of the teams I played in know. For me, it's almost a glorified net sessions where guys are trying to get middle practice uh, and overs under the belt and runs under their belt for their personal achievements to try and get into that first team. And at times, it can be horrible. It can be a toxic environment yeah. because everybody is fighting against each other yeah. in what should be a team environment. Um, and at times it's really difficult. Um, you've got guys who, international players who are coming into the second team, they don't want to be there. No. They don't want to be playing at Lady Bay against Leicestershire. No, no disrespect to Leicestershire, but they don't. And yeah. if they tell you they do, well, yeah. And I remember in, in those days as well, I don't know if it changed, you know, after I stopped playing, but 
you'd play second 11 cricket I'd get the train up and you'd be rooming with someone because you used to share rooms in those days yeah and you know what you might be rooming with someone that you've never met before Mm. you might never have heard of them or it could be a club pro and and suddenly you're you're chucked in a a Mm. 10 meter square room with them I always found that a little bit odd as well yeah well I roomed with Mark Footit in Cardiff I was I couldn't I couldn't have been um 17 18 maybe and he was a 30 year old grown bloke yeah um and he's a great guy love footy not not got a bad word to say about him but you know at times it it can be intimidating um not that he never made me feel like that but it I guess in this in the second team you you are you're always being watched. Every move is is watched from the minute you wake up in the morning and go to breakfast. You are being judged, yeah. um, and that's that's seriously hard to to deal with at times. I guess um, you know it's part of of being a, a professional cricketer, but it's full on. Um, and you know to try and deal with that is 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 really difficult at times. I don't. You know, is Sorry, there enough what? support there? Is there enough support there for me? I mean, I look back now and I think, gee, I wish somebody had put an arm around me at times. Um, because I think you know, I see so many people just left to left to hang and dry. Well, on, on that note, I must I must give out a, a bit of a shout out to fellow Cornishman Charlie Shrek, who I played a game with once, and he did put that arm around me, and he took me out to Subway for a, for a nice dinner. So <laughs> I'll give him. Well, I'll give look, him. I had I had some great relationships with with players at Knotts who who did take me under their wing. Um, some you know coach, you know Jono Paul Johnson. Yeah. You know I I speak to him still now. He, you know, if it wasn't for him. My time there could have been totally different. You know, he was he was a father figure to me. Um, you know, I've you know I've not got a bad word to say about him. He was fantastic, and and so were you know some of the senior pros. You know, Paul Franks. You know, even latterly, you know, Steve Mullaney, Fletch, Harry Gurney. You know, I still speak to them guys now. And they're great guys. Um, I'm I'm jumping back a little bit. Kels, but Chris Reed, did did Chris Reed have any part in that conversation that you had with Mick Newell when you were told that you were going to be leaving? No, he didn't. Um, but I then, I'm pretty sure when I left, I, I still went on the end of season. Um, like, you know, party. Party, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll use the correct term um, <laughs> for the listeners. Um, and he, I, he grabbed me um, during that day and, and said, "Look, I'm shocked." Um, so quite clearly from that, he he wasn't involved or or didn't wasn't aware that what happened happened. Yeah. Um, you know, so for him to say that was a kind of nice. Um, it didn't change anything. No. Um, but again, Reedy, you know, Reedy was great. Model, professional, fantastic with with the younger guys. Mm. 
And I, I wanted to sort of let's jump forward again. So you get released and you make the decision to go and play cricket in New Zealand over the English winter. So was was the thought process at that stage very much? I'm going to go away. I'm going to get a stack load of runs and then I'm going to come back and try and get a professional contract. Um, the, my thought process wasn't about getting another pro contract. Um, I don't think it was more the fact that I was in a position where I, I still wanted to play. Um, and my thought process was, was get out to New Zealand, um, you know, fresh start, um, take my, you know, completely kind of clear my head and, and start afresh. Um, you know, I, I, on the pitch out there was fantastic. You know, I, I, I had something stupid like 700 runs in, in nine games. Um, but off the field was obviously, you know, I don't know if anybody's read a few of the articles which, which have come of that trip and my time as a pro, obviously off the field was, yeah, not what I planned or expected. Um, yeah. But the club I was at, would, would, you know, on the field, it, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Well, you, you went to New Zealand, as you say, you scored sort of 700-ish runs in seven games. But when I was doing my research for this pod, you said in, in an article a few years back that you found yourself crying for no reason and that some days you, you even found it hard to get out of bed. So as best you can, just describe that period of your life and, and what you were experiencing at that time. Yeah, it didn't it didn't happen straight away. Um it was, it was kind of maybe a month in, a month or so into the trip. Um I was for anybody that knows New Zealand, I was in Auckland but sort of forty minutes outside of, of central Auckland, um in a lovely called Henderson Valley um, and it, it was quite isolated um, and I didn't have a car for the first month um, there's a few issues with getting it serviced and MOT'd and, and, and really you needed a car to, to get by and explore and so I was Sounds almost like yeah, yeah I was almost <laughs> really kind of locked down um, for the first month or so of, the, of my trip and Yes, looking back, it gave me a lot of time to to think um, and mull over things that had, that had happened. Um, I spent a lot of time on my own, um, which which wasn't great. Um, and then, yeah, sort of the mornings would were, were, were tricky. I got into a bit of a, a bad routine where I'd sleep in until nine nine thirty. Um, and by that time, you know, I was living with my brother's godfather and, and his family. Um, you know, the house and the house and location, and, and they were fantastic. Um, it was me, you know, me within myself that that got into a, a rut. Um, you know, I was offered some work, um, and I turned that down because mentally I I didn't have the, the go to to go and do it. Um, so I was just basically out there to to, to play cricket and, and do some coaching. You know, financially, I was getting looked after really well by the club. Um, but yeah, just sort of out of nowhere, really. The odd morning, I would I would wake up really emotional. Um, 
to this day, I I couldn't tell you why that happened. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, it's nothing. You know, stop being silly, Sam. You you'll be okay, type thing. And I kind of kept it on my own to myself for a while because trying to explain that to to my mum and and my family back home and Amy was was rather difficult. I didn't want to you know make them worried or mm. you know because at the end of the day I'm across the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amy actually came across at Christmas time um, and we did some traveling. We had a break, obviously have a break for cricket, um, two or three weeks break. Um, so I was really looking forward to that. Um, and Amy arrived and these episodes of emotion in a morning and then it, it came on during, it would happen throughout the day sometimes. Um, <laughs> I can laugh about it now because I can remember Amy saying to me, um, it happened one morning. I think she'd come back from the shower and I was sat on the end of the bed crying. She was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's wrong. Um, and was it was it at that point that you, you reached out to the PCA? Yeah, yeah. Um, so before bef- before Amy came, I actually reached out to Fletch, Luke Fletcher. Luke Fletcher, yeah. Fletch was out there playing for Wellington Firebirds in their domestic T20 competition. Mm-hmm. And I actually met him in town in Auckland in the city one afternoon for some coffee. And he looked at me straight away and he said, you're not very well, are you? And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, bit taken back by it and he said I can tell you, you you look you look you look pale you know you look thin you don't look yourself um are you okay and I, I said yeah I'm, you know I'm I'm struggling a little bit you know I feel a bit isolated and all I've got you know is really Saturday afternoon to look forward to and um you know I'm obviously looking forward to Amy arriving in in December um, so he knew instantly that something wasn't right. And, and he, he said to me, he said, look, please ring me tomorrow. Ring me, you know, whenever you need to or alternatively, you know, reach out to, to somebody, reach out to the PCA who will help you. Mm. Um, so I did, you know, things took a bit of a turn. It, it, them episodes of crying and emotion got a bit more frequent and that. I called um, Jason Ratcliffe, who was the PCA chief exec at the time, I think. Um, and within two hours, he had um, a psychologist on the phone to me, some private consultant in London who who called me. Um, so I had a and bit what, of a... What's, what's he asking at that point? what's that psychologist yeah he was he was trying to get me to explain my my feelings what what i was feeling um asking my daily routine you know my my eating habits was i drinking was i smoking was i taking drugs you know he was basically just giving me a bit of an mot um but again trying to trying to open up to somebody over the phone who i'd never met or you know i don't know this guy's face um, it was difficult, um, but he he, basically, I guess, gave me a diagnosis over the phone of 
adjustment stress. Right. Uh, so he was trying to explain it to me that I'd lived this life for the last 10 years where I was a cricketer and then a professional cricketer. And, and now that's been completely stripped. Um, my mind and is, is lost basically, you know, it doesn't know what to, doesn't know what to do. And did you, did you understand or agree with that diagnosis at the time? Yeah, at the time I did, because I guess he gave me a bit of a, he gave me some coping mechanisms um, and some options to try. And I guess that was a bit of a, oh, you know, it will be okay. I'll, I'll be able to manage it. Um, did they help? Yeah, they did. But then, you know, the, the minute I was on my own again, it was really difficult. I just could not be on my own at all. Um yeah. You know, probably somebody who's listening to this thinking, God, you're over the other side of the world. You're in New Zealand. It's summertime. You've now got a car. Go and explore the country. You know, I had no I had no ties. I didn't have to be at work. You know, I could have literally got in the car on a Monday morning and gone somewhere for the week and come back and played cricket. But I, I didn't have that motivation in my mind to do anything. Um, and it got to the point where... I I stopped wanting to go to cricket. I couldn't then motivate myself to do that. Um, and was that was that the the sort of final nail in the coffin, as it, as it were, for you to decide yeah. to then go home? Yeah, I I, um, I guess that the nail in the coffin was when Amy then left to go yeah. back home to England. Yeah, we had an amazing two and a half three weeks traveling around. Um, but again, during that time, these episodes were still happening, but they weren't as bad because Amy was there, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but then as soon as Amy left, yeah, my, yeah, my head fell off. Um, and you made your flight Yeah, it was literally, Amy got the flight um, and I don't think she landed in the UK and I'd booked my flight home. Um, I sat down with the captain. He was completely understanding. Um, you know, couldn't. He felt quite helpless that I had not reached out to them, um, and and didn't didn't realise what I was going through at all. He said, he actually said, "Goodness me, you've you've hit it well. Like I would not know at all." Um, but then you, you've only known those guys, what, three, four, five months? Yeah. And the real difficult one was 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 sitting down with my, my brother's godfather and and trying to explain it to him. He he got really upset that I'd that I'd let it bubble away inside me and, and not he was sad that I obviously felt that I couldn't open up to, to even him. Um and it wasn't that I'd, I didn't feel I couldn't do that. It was you know, I guess I didn't want to come across as a a weak man, or you know, I I didn't want to make them feel that they were making me feel this way, and um, it was just yeah, horrible situation. Um, and then I obviously had to come, you know, confront the chairman of the club, who who was understanding, but also quite angry as well. Um, right. 
because basically it was a huge commitment for them to get me over there and you know they as I said they they paid me really well and I was kind of their you know key player to to really push their season on and hopefully progress up and so obviously I I understood his his feelings and his disappointment but all I wanted to do was was get home that is all you know money um I, I could not be bothered with any of it it was just get me on that flight home um I th- and I think it, it's probably testament to how far we've come as a as a society in the last sort of seven, eight, nine years that that attitude that the chairman showed you, it wouldn't be shown these days, would it? Like, no, no. If, if someone comes to them and, and they say, I'm struggling with my mental health, they wouldn't question it. They'd be like, you've got to do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, but when, when you got back in England, what was that like? Did did reality sit in set in? Did it did it get worse? How did you then cope with that? Because there's no cricket at that point either. Yeah, it wasn't an ideal time of year to come back. Time of the the, the year. Um, I would say it got worse before it got anywhere near better. Um, yeah. Obviously, it was initially better because I was around my family. Um. And that's, you know, that's all I wanted to do. The motivation to try and get some work was not there at all. Um, and the motivation wasn't even there to contact a county and ask to come and trial or train. You know, it just wasn't there. Um, you know, my appetite took a real decline. Um, and it was at that stage that my mum my said, right, we need, you know, we need to call the doctors. Um, and then, you know, what I didn't want to happen happened. They put me on on some medication to try and, you know, in, in their eyes, that was the only thing that was going to help to get my mood up. Did it help? Yeah, they took some time. The tablets that they put me on, um, probably three to four weeks before I started to feel my mood pick up and my my motivation, my appetite back. Um, you know, a regret of mine is probably not, you know, doing doing the counselling and things like that. Um, you know, I could have helped myself more there. Um, but I got to a stage, you know, a few months, a year down the line where I, I slowly managed to to get into some work, you know, see, see a, you know, I guess light at the end of the tunnel of, and wean myself off, off the medication. Um I've been on them again since, um, since that time, um, and kind of, kind of back off them again. Um, so yeah, it's just it, it's it's that motivation now is completely completely different. You know, I have, you know, a young son, and a house. You know, that's that's the motivation. Do you and do you find it almost easier in a way that now? you're older and being a professional cricketer is no longer an option. Like, does that make it easier in some respects that that's just not an option anymore? So you, you have to get on with your life. Mate, if somebody rang me tomorrow morning and offered me a contract, I'd be there with bells on. <laughs> and if I didn't say that, I'd be lying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it makes it easier in the t- in the fact that I've got to get up in the morning at 
what, quarter to four in the morning to go and meet somebody to go down to Reading to take some garden furniture. You know, that is what I do now. Yeah. I have to do that, else the bills don't get paid. And um, you said you said in an article a few years back that I read that there's not a day goes by that you don't wish you were a professional cricketer. Yeah. Is that yeah. still the case? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I sit I guess maybe in a little bit of an arrogant way, I see some guys that are playing now and I genuinely believe I'm as good as them. And given the opportunity, I could do what they do. Um, and that I don't think that will ever go. Maybe when I'm 50-odd, it might have gone because I can't move anymore. But, um, you know, I've just played two games this weekend and my right shoulder's currently on the floor because I can't lift it. Um, so, you know, things like that, you know, yeah, I'm not getting any younger, but that that desire, even at club level and minor counties level, is is still there to to try and be the best I can. And in in those sort of seven or or so years since you were released from Knots, has there been one particular season where you thought to yourself, yeah, this is this is the season. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to try and sort of maybe trial somewhere and and get another contract. Has that been the case? I think I would have done that a few years ago if financially there was no issues. Um, I've just never had that um, financial, I guess, security behind me where I've been able to write, I don't need to work for six months. I'm going to go and trial it anywhere yeah. and get... And, and this, 20- is the thing, this is the thing that people don't... don't. Well, I don't know if they don't realise it, but they maybe don't consider it, is that... To, to go and play a three-day game for a second 11 side, you've got to give up two days of your working week, mm. um, which is difficult for a man that's in his early to mid-twenties. Mm. You know, and what you know, he may get some meal allowance, he may get some petrol money, some counties may even give him a bit of a day rate, but not everybody. Um, you know, and if that, if that youngster has supportive parents, then he may be fortunate where he can, but there's not a lot of people that can do that. Hmm. Um, and I certainly wasn't in a position to do that. So um, what, what, what did what did the opportunities look like? Sort of from from getting back to new getting back from New Zealand to today, like did you where did you trial? I mean you, you touched on um, the unicorns and, and North Ants, but were there was there ever any serious interest from other counties? No, the, there wasn't. A big regret of mine. Well, not a big regret, but in hindsight, maybe I should have tried the the MCC Young Cricketers. Um, you know, I wish I would have given that a go. And I actually did apply, um, but there was an age restriction. Um, and I sent my, I think I sent my application in or my my cricket CV, and I think I was just over the age threshold. Um, they kind of come back and said, oh, you know, if we have any injuries, you know, we'll, we'll definitely consider you. But unfortunately, I think I was 25 and the threshold was 24. Um, does that does that annoy you a little bit when you see people like Darren Stevens, who's 45, and, and Jimmy, Anderson, Jimmy Anderson, who's 38? Does that annoy you a little bit that that age threshold was there? In my opinion, I'm... I'm a better player now than I was five, six years ago. 
maybe not technically, but mentally and knowing my own game, I feel so more assured um, of what I can do and what you know what I couldn't do back then. Which mentally, I'm in a position you know that I'd feel I could do now. And a huge thing for me, and I talk a lot about it to the youngsters these days, and I'm sure you do, is is that fear of failure, that fear of playing that shot which you might get some reward for but also there's a huge risk um, and and that is one thing I would change if I had the chance again is is, is just being open and 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 not have fear of fear of failure and fear of you know god what's he going to say to me if I get out or what's going to happen um, am I going to get picked um because there was there was a situation where I don't know if if you've ever experienced this, where I was playing second team cricket, and it got to the point where if I scored eighty plus, I I would receive a text from Mick or Wayne Noon at the time, mm. um, of basically saying you know great stuff, well done, you know you're knocking on the door, you know we we kind of need this every game. Um, obviously if I scored below 80 I would hear nothing so I look back I think back now at that and I think you know what kind of an, an environment was was that set in you know massive fear, fear of failure fear of me going out to bat every time and and this little boy in the corner of my head saying you better get 80 mate else he ain't going to text you yeah, you know, I, things like that upset me, and I look back and think, why didn't I say something, or why did I, why did I let that happen? Um, what would what would you say if you could, if you had the chance again? I would I would probably approach them and say that it's wrong. You know, I don't think that's setting uh, an environment to succeed, an environment that creates the right atmosphere for, for young pros to succeed and, and perform and enjoy what they're doing. And just just to, to move on a little bit, and this is potentially a, a difficult question to answer, but what do you think triggered your struggles with, with mental health? Do you think it was the disappointment of being released and then the pressures to perform? Or do you think the issues were always there sort of in the background? It's um, a good question. I think the issues were, were maybe always there. I think what triggered it was that that fear of what's next. You know, what my life was cricket, knots. You know, that's all I knew. That's all I wanted to do. Um, and it was kind of taken away. And it's like life still goes on, but but I didn't know what life looked like or what it was going to be like. Um, you know that that might sound a bit a bit deep and a bit far fetched, but like my dream was snatched away, taken away, and and it wasn't there anymore. So for me to try and process that through my mind, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't cope with it. Um, I can now, and I can talk about it, which is great. Um, and I, you know, 
God, I'd, yeah, I'd love, I'd love a crack again. And what on that subject? How would you describe your relationship with cricket now? Is it love hate? Do you, do you harbour any sort of bitterness or resentment? <laughs> Amy's nodding her head. Um, yeah, look, we all we've had more bad days than good, haven't we? You know, everybody says that. Um, at times, yeah, I could easily shut the door and not go out there and not play and not speak to anybody for, for months, weeks, um, easily. But you know, when the sun's shining, it's it's bloody great, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, I, and I still, like I said earlier, I still have that. I still want to do well. I still want to perform for club where I've been for, for, for nearly 14 years now. And I, I want to achieve some things. And, you know, you know, I would love to see Arthur grow up and he can do what he wants. You know, at the moment, he does nothing but pick a cricket bat and ball up um, off his it's own bit- will, off his own will, which is great. But, you know, I certainly am not going to push him into into doing that. Well, this this was going to be a question that I asked you, what you would tell your your own 13-year-old self. But what would you tell your son if your son was involved in an academy setup and and maybe they've been picked to play second 11 cricket, what would you tell them at 13, 14, 15? To enjoy it. To enjoy it. I can't, you know, Amy's brothers are, you know, rather good at cricket and in sort of county environments at the moment. Um, you know, Callum, the eldest one, who's six, 17, um, he's kind of at that stage now where he's involved in Warwickshire EPP and it's kind of the last step up to the next level if if he's good enough and... I see a lot of myself and him at the moment and I'm trying to give him my experiences. Um, but I see it in a lot of kids, you know, it's tough to watch where they they pile a lot on themselves. Um, you, know, you, you have to enjoy it because before you know it, it can, it can be gone. Um, you know, yeah, life's, that- life's too short. And there's that awful moment, isn't there, where, where cricket, which is your passion and your hobby, quickly becomes your profession and your day job. Mm. Um, but I, I wanted to touch on, on minor counties cricket briefly because we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. But and we've talked about some of the negatives of second eleven cricket. But I actually think that minor counties cricket is a bit of an untapped resource when it comes to people that were perhaps your age at. 22, 23, 24, 25 that have fallen out of that academy setup. Mm. Like you said that the MCC age restriction was at 25. I still think there's a there's a whole host of cricketers out there who might be 25 and above playing minor counties cricket that are good enough to play professional cricket. So what were your experiences of of minor counties cricket? Do you feel the same? Like how do how do you compare the standards? I felt at times minor counties was as good, if not better, than second eleven. You know, it was really hard, hard cricket. You know, played in the right way, but I guess with a, with a bunch of good club cricketers, that five or six of them had the ambition to be pros, and 
but with that mentality of trying to win and they weren't they're not selfish they're not um focusing on themselves because ultimately they've got their day jobs which they which they focus on um and that and that minor counties cricket is a great release where they can come and enjoy it with with their you know group of mates and and if they perform great and and some of them have gone on from that um yeah i i loved it i love i love i love it hopefully um you know my days at that level aren't over yet um but yeah from from my point of view i i agree with what you're saying it massively is um an untapped um yeah, a group of players where there could be some come some gems picked from, definitely. And the, the the reason I think that as well is because people are playing in an environment where they're comfortable. Yeah. So I, I played a few years of second eleven cricket for Knots, as you did. I had I had no affiliation to Knots, you know, to the to the club, to the area. And then I, I sort of come back and I played minor counties cricket for Cornwall which is the place that I've grown up. It's playing with the people that I've grown up with. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my performance level went up as well. And and there's that, that extra bit of needle and, and motivation, which I just didn't experience at second level cricket. So did you find going back and playing minor counties cricket refreshing? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was definitely definitely like a breath of fresh air. Um, like a, a completely different environment. Um, don't don't get me wrong. Taken taken seriously and w- with a with a, with a thought of winning one hundred percent. But but with a with a group of mates that are are pushing each other in in the right way um, and and supporting each other. Um, yeah, I, I I love it. I think it's great cricket. Um, obviously now there's, I think it's been brought in this year even more so the age restriction at minor counties level. Um, so I think now you know the emphasis from the ECB is 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 to get the youngsters into minor counties earlier. Yeah. Which which yeah I, you know I I agree with to a, to a certain extent, but these guys have got to be ready. They've got to be good enough, um, and I also think. You know, you've got to be picking your best teams because, for me, lads improve and and progress better and faster when when you're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a fine balance. Um, yeah, I I agree. I think the, the the cream will always rise to the top, and you you've got to pick your best players. I don't necessarily agree with with trying to pick a certain number of players under a certain age. Um, but I, I wanted to sort of move on to the the present day and, and talk to you about your coaching business. Um, so SK Coaching. So what have you taken from, well, firstly, what, what, what does that involve? And then secondly, what have you taken from your time and experiences as a professional cricketer into what you do on a day-to-day basis with other young players? My, my philosophy is, is quite simple and, for me, it's it's about the player. It's all about the player. Um, I don't coach for any financial gain or 
any recognition for myself at all. It is about trying to give my all to that individual or team and help them progress as players and then as individuals as well. Um, but creating an environment where they feel comfortable, you know, and, and that will then stem, you know, to success and, and progression. Creating an environment where they can fail and, and fail is failure is okay. It's acceptable because in my opinion, from there you will you will then learn. Yes, if you keep making the same mistakes, then there's there's obviously a little bit more to it. Um, but it's I'm very much player, you know, player led. I want the player to to do sessions and and lead sessions what they want to do. It's pointless me planning a session if I lose that player within the first ten minutes, you know. What's the point? Um, it's difficult at times. I think the culture these days is has changed somewhat. Um, I'm not sure the the work ethic and and the desire and appetite to to really push themselves is as much as as what we had when we were that age. Um, but yeah, I you know I love it. Um, and I'd love to get get involved more and more in you know in sort of the county setups and if any opportunities arise, I, you know, I'd gladly take them. And they say, don't they, that half the games played in the mines, which obviously you know only too well. Mm. So how much how much of your coaching sessions or your time with a player do you dedicate to that side of the game? Absolutely, I could, you know, a, a typical one-to-one session for an hour would, would, would only be, skill-wise, maybe forty minutes, forty-five minutes most. Fifteen to twenty minutes would be actually talking to each other, and getting the player to talk to me about what they're feeling about their game. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer in it's, you know, for me. I think I tweeted the other day, you know, for me, the art of coaching and the best coaches I've had is is the coaches that that say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of of men and women out there, coaches that that say say stuff for the the sake of saying it, trying to justify their roles. Um, And I've had, you know, past experiences where I've been where I've been really quite muddled in, in my head going into a game and it's it's not healthy um especially as a batsman you need to you know as you walk out and and take your guard for me the the focus is on the ball and the bowler you know and and that's it i'm not thinking about where my head hands feet are you know i'm just watching the ball and i'm going to react to it um and I mean, we we want to move on to our, our sort of quickfire round now, and and normally there would be some some questions about the best Cornish player you've played with and against. I think you played with a couple on your time at, at Notts Academy. Um, I won't be offended if you don't say me, but I think you might have played with Jake Libby. There might have been some crossover at Notts with him. Yeah, he took my place. Well, I was going to say <laughs> that. that, <laughs> that <laughs> 
that was the that was the cruel twist of fate. You broke your finger before mm. Sussex, and he took your place and then scored a hundred and, and never looked back. Yeah, yeah. Look, Jake's a lovely guy, um, great player, and it's weirdly it's kind of refreshing to to see him at the moment do what he's doing. Um, and for me, not dropped a huge. I won't swear letting him go um, yeah. because I just think it's shown, you know, his game now is, has gone on a level. I think when he first came to Notts um, in the second team, we, we, we went toe for toe game after game. He was getting 120, I was getting 100, you know, 150, 180s. Um, and then I broke my finger in, in the second team game. I was due to play in that Sussex game and, as you say, Jake played and scored a hundred. You know that 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 could have happened to anybody, um, mm. and he took his opportunity. You know, hats off to him. Um, do you, do you feel that when you say that you were going toe to toe in the second team, so you you were getting one twenties, he was getting one fifties, and vice versa? Do you feel that when because you're obviously you're batting together, mm. and that's what I mean about the second eleven team being quite a weird environment. Like yeah, do you yeah. both sort of feel that um i think at the time we we were we really enjoyed batting together and we we'd obviously yeah. clicked and had a good had a good you know batting relationship um at the time no i didn't feel that you know god this guy's gonna take my place i i, I didn't i didn't feel that um you know it turned out to be that he did um but you know, just, there's no hard feelings there. Not like I could have broke my finger at any time. Um, it just so happened to be then. Um, but you know, Jake, Jake's one for me where he's a player where I, I look at and think, you know, given an opportunity, I could, I could be be him. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd see people in you know like Jake and. A few of the other younger lads dotted about, and I think, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'd back myself to, to, to be there like he is. And hats off to him. He's, he, I think he was pigeonholed, pigeonholed as a bit of a, a, a championship player, uh, you know, a, a traditional long innings player like myself, really. But I think he's proved over the past, you know, two seasons that he's t he's t twenty and one day game as as progressed massively and I read that article the other day and it you know it was really refreshing to read how he's had to you know adapt mm. his game to to keep progressing and, and staying in the in with the modern game so yeah no I, you know all the best to him you know he's a great guy he's a good model pro do you think he was hard done by not to get the call up to the England side ahead of Hasib Hamid um, I haven't thought. I haven't thought about that to be honest. Well, uh, if, you're, if you're not if you're not Cornish, you probably haven't thought about <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, Hassan Azad, for example. You know, another one yeah. who churns out runs. Who not turned around to him and said, "You will never make a first class cricketer." Currently uh, at Leicestershire, opening yeah, the yeah. He's had a, maybe had a couple of seasons where he scored a thousand runs for Leicester. Mm. You know, 
I just love seeing people like that do well who have been basically written off. Um, yeah, yeah. Why, you know, why not give these a crack at international level? You know, stats don't lie. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot floating around at the minute about people's techniques, and I think Nasser Hussein did a good piece um, the other day about techniques and you know trying to rewrite the books and. At times you look and it does look like that. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've got sidetracked on our, our quickfire rounds. Um, but I also just wanted to say, and I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me, but we've looked at some of the negative things about the world of sort of professional cricket. Um, but it's also important to say that there are lots and lots of brilliant things about it. Um, the players you play against and with, the ground you play at, I mean, standard of cricket, me and you were, were lucky enough to spend two weeks in Sri Lanka, for example. We both have the privilege of, of walking out at Trent Bridge. Um, so I just wanted to, to ask you, what were your favourite things about being a professional cricketer? Everything, really. You know, walking into that pavilion and up them steps most mornings was, you know, everybody's childhood dream um you know, knocking shoulders with with international stars um i guess i was fortunate where i, I saw a whole host of you know chris cairns was kevin peterson was there when i was you know a young pup and yeah you kind of pinch yourself now and think you know the experiences i've had and i'm still only 28 it's quite phenomenal really um, any any stories to tell about Kevin? Um, no, never really had much to do with him. Um, I was there's that, there's that famous one, isn't there, of, of Kit being chucked off the balcony at Trent Bridge? Yeah, I can remember Chris Cairns, who was the overseas professional, and I was I was must have been eleven or twelve. I think I was just on the academy then, and I, I went to get his autograph after the game, and he refused. What, Kevin. Yeah. No, Chris Cairns. Right. Um, and that was like, I was distraught. Um, <laughs> he was talking to a friend, I think, and he basically said, no, sorry, not today. Um, and my mum and dad were like, like raging. <laughs> um, kind of like, never you, never you be like that, Sam. Don't you be like that. Um, you know, knocking shoulders with, you know, Stuart Broad, Graeme Swan, you know, Alex Hales. You don't, you don't get that opportunity every day. And on that subject then, best, best bowler you've played with and then best bowler you've played against? Um, without doubt, Andre Adams played with. Um, How come? Just skillful. But fast, not fast, but people, the saying of heavy ball, like mm. he would just hit the splice and you knew, like you knew it was, it got a bit of, you know, weight behind it, um, but just so skillful, just on a piece of string um, and played against. It would probably have to be Graham Onions. Mm -hmm. you know 
I wasn't there long, but the balls I did face really was when my debut was just a huge, huge eye opener um, to what professional first class cricket was. I actually faced Monty Panasar in minor counties cricket a couple of years ago. Who was he playing for? Would it have been Bedfordshire, Bedfordshire? or something like yeah. 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 And it was day three in the second innings and we needed 260, 270 to win on um, a turning pitch at West Brom and Dartmouth. And it was just a phenomenal spell of bowling. Yeah. Um, we, we actually won in the end. I think we got, I got a few, but yeah, he was, what an interesting character he is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he probably, he played for three days and spoke to nobody. Uh, <laughs> I think he was potentially going through a bit of a tricky period in his yeah. life. Um, he's, he's had his own issues, isn't he? I yeah. mean, he, he said recently that he's never officially retired from playing for England. Mm-hmm. I think he still makes himself available. But yeah, for, he was a phenomenal bowler. What What about him as a, as a spinner set him apart from just your regular Saturday afternoon spinner. Just the um, the pace he bowled at. How fast he bowled. Yeah. And the spin with it added to it was yeah, just the accuracy and just everything. Um his angles he used on the crease. Just high class. With international level, isn't he? Yeah. Um he can't bat at all field. He doesn't need to when he bowls like that. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then best best batter you've played with and best batter you've played against. Always oh, tricky these are. They put you on the spot, don't they? Yeah, you've only had a week to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> against, I'd probably say Stokes, Ben Stokes. And how, how, how many years ago was that now? That must have been, what, nine, ten years ago? Yeah, well, he played in that. In your debut? Yeah, I'm 28 now. Um, but it was, do, it was doing a little bit in, in that game, and I think Andre was bowling. And I think we had them. We got a few of them early for not many. Um, and he came in and first ball... Um, Front foot pulled Andre in front of square for one bounce four. Mm. I think I was at backward point and just kind of said to myself, like, how? <laughs> how have you done that? Like, it was just, it was like watching a PlayStation game. Um, and I think he went on to get a few, but his just, his persona and his, his manner, you know, his aura at the crease was, and he was young then. Um, yeah, just different than I'd ever seen before. Um, played with... Um, you know, really early days was, was, was Bilal. Bilal Shafai, he could really play. He's up there for me as well. I, oh. I remember I, I played a second eleven game and, and sort of put on 50 with Bilal when he got 100. And... Uh, that was his last, it turned out to be his last ever game for Knotts. But I always thought, what, mm. what a talented player. And I, mm. I grew up reading The Wisdom Cricketer, and I remember seeing him in there as like yeah. one to watch for the future. And yeah. then all of a sudden, I was playing with him. He scored 100, and I 
I sort of read the next month that he'd been released. What a player he was. So much time. Yeah. So much time. This could be really bad of me to say this. I can't believe I'm going to. Is Neil Edwards a Cornishman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brother of Ryan Edwards, who's currently playing for Penzance. God, I could have made myself look really stupid then. No, you've been, yeah. The Cornish listeners will love that. Well done. Yeah, he was a good, Neil could play. I had a few um, opening partnerships with Neil. He, he, he's a great character, Neil was. Hated fielding. I've never met somebody who hated fielding so much. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he he would just turn it on. Um, His brother's like that as well. His brother hates building. Yeah. Neil would just turn it on out of nowhere and and just dismiss bowling. Um, yeah, he he was a great character. He he was. I really enjoyed playing with him actually. You know, he was a good man. So, okay, yeah. well, Billy that, Billy will be up there for me. Billy Billy would be up there. I think that's a that's a reasonable choice as well. Um. That sort of brings us to the end of the podcast, Kels. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. I, I appreciate you coming on and ex- sharing your experiences. Um, I think it's important for any aspiring cricketers that might be listening to hear experiences like yours and realise that while they shouldn't be deterred, you know, professional cricket is not all sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's tough. It can take its toll in ways that you might not ever realise. Um and it doesn't always work out. But I hope that conversations like this will will maybe help to ensure that any aspiring cricketers, you know, out there at least set about pursuing their dreams with their eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for doing that. No, it's a pleasure, mate. And um, like I say, it's, you know, it's taken me a few years to, to get to this stage where I'm, you know, more than happy to openly talk about my experiences. And I, I just think it's really important that, that, youngsters and and young adults you know find a way that they feel comfortable to do that um you know it's not it's not weak to ask for help um or weak to ask for support and just please enjoy it do it with a smile on your face and if if you get the opportunity just go for it couldn't agree more thank you mate no worries buddy well Thanks, as, as always, for listening, everyone. Um, I'm sure you'll agree that the things Sam talked about are crucial and, and sadly perhaps not spoken about enough when preparing young players for a, a potential life in professional cricket. As I touched on towards the end, professional cricket isn't always sunshine and roses. and It can be a pretty high-pressured, cutthroat environment and aspiring cricketers need to have their eyes wide open to that. Hopefully conversations like this will help. For those listening in the Staffordshire area, Sam has his own coaching business, which we discussed. It's called SK Coaching. You can follow on Instagram and Facebook at SK Cricket Co. And follow Sam on Twitter at Kelsall93. You can also follow the podcast across social by searching The Whitefoot Cricket Show. And wherever you're listening, please leave a rating and a review. It really does help to spread awareness of the podcast. And as always, your feedback and suggestions are welcome. Until next time. Go well.